upon the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. It's a bit of a unique way to see these things all grouped together. Long life, the blessing, the tree of life, the foundation of the earth, and the curse. This reminds us of Genesis chapter 2 and 3 where God blesses mankind. He promises them this, His eternal life if they will not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is, if they will obey Him. But then there is a curse. They become cursed because of their sin. This seems to be a nod to creation, helping us understand what it means to be blessed in this passage. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to live in the fullness of joy and the glory that God created for mankind. It means to get in the path of God's peace, get in the road of His own, the, the rhythms of His own happiness that He has implanted and structured into the world. God's put rhythms and paths into the world, ways of morality and knowledge, so that if we walk in them, we will be blessed, we will be happy as He is in the world. And look at how Proverbs compares this blessing, verses 14 through 18. For the gain from her, this blessing is better than gold, than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. You can't buy this kind of peace and blessing and happiness. You ever sought for a treasure, whether you just had one of those metal detectors out on the beach or out on the farm looking for things? Some people are very serious about this, as I've noted in recent weeks. I came across an article this last week in the Atlantic. It was about a family and friends who'd been looking for a rumored supposed lost treasure that had been lost by the confederately aligned Knights of the Golden Circle during the Civil War in June 1863. This is a scenario just begging for Nicolas Cage to make a movie about it. Well, the long story short is that after some guidance from a psychic and 44 years of searching, Dennis Kem and his family thought they had found the long-lost Confederate pile of gold. Using highly precise metal detectors, they found what they presumed to be metal at the density of gold, and they found the space and depth of it, which should equal nine tons of gold in a random hill in Pennsylvania, would have been to the worth of $100 million dollars. Well, the FBI got involved, and they showed up, and they started digging, and they kept Dennis Kim and his friends away. For a day and a half, they would not let Dennis get back up to this dig site. For a day and a half, they gave him excuses. There's water. We're pumping water. Our tools are broken. We haven't got down to the gold yet. We'll let you know when we get there. Well, after digging for a day and a half, the FBI reported that there was no gold after all. 
The conspiracy theories in the lawsuits continue today. After less than 48 hours later, three and a half tons of gold fell out of an airplane in Siberia. How terrible is it for us? Not only when we look for treasures and don't find them, but what if we actually find them and they're so disappointing? We actually get gold. We actually have some jewelry. We actually have some possessions and they don't make us happy. When we find out that they don't help us sleep at night, they don't give us peace, they're empty. It's as if nothing were there. Wisdom, though. Wisdom is a tree of life. Find wisdom. You find life, the rich, overflowing, pleasant life. Friends, church, guests, don't buy the lies that if you come to God, that God will give you stuff to make you happy. No, you come to God, you find His wisdom, and you'll find happiness and blessing and peace that can't compare to a hundred million dollars. What good is all the treasure in the world if you can't sleep at night? If you don't have peace in your heart, how frustrating it is to have it all the thing that you eyed for a long time on Amazon, the thing that you saved up for, the thing that you asked your spouse for six anniversaries ago, and they finally got it for you, and you still couldn't sleep at night. As one pastor said in a sermon recently about Artaxerxes, the king who was awakened in the night and could not go to sleep in the book of Esther, how frustrating to have all that power and not be able to command one moment's sleep. Friends, be careful with this. Do not think that this is a small thing. This is a taste of everlasting lack of peace that we will suffer forever unless we come to God. That lack of peace, the unpleasantness in our hearts isn't something that is just happening to us. It is the result of our turning away from God back in the garden, Adam and all of us following, we stepped out of the blessing of God and we were removed from the garden because we stepped out of loving God and obeying God and trusting God and treasuring God and we picked up our own will and said we will do it our own way and trust the serpent. Friends, this is part of what it is like to be in hell forever. No peace. If you are feeling lack of comfort, if you are feeling lack of peace, lack of pleasantness in your soul, consider the most fundamental cure for that disease to be your relationship with God. Consider God and His wisdom as the source of blessing and consider what is at odds with me and God. Is it that God is so mean? Is it that God is so ungenerous? Is it that God is so unfaithful? Or is it that I have deserted God? Is it that I have put my eyes 
to the hills of Pennsylvania to look for treasure of gold in the earth? Is it that I had hoped for some job, I had hoped for some spouse, I had hoped for some car, I had hoped for some baby, I had hoped for something to give me a break, to give me some peace, to give me some rest. And it comes up empty and empty and empty because it is only in God and walking in His wisdom alone. If you lack peace and lack sleep, maybe you should see your doctor and stop eating in bed while you're watching shows on your phone at 10.30 at night. In fact, you don't have to be a doctor to know that. I just think that would be unwise. But maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe you need to come back to God, your Creator, to know His wisdom about life, about existence. You need to find wisdom in your life and understand and live your life in the wisdom of God. For the one who finds wisdom is blessed. The one who finds wisdom is blessed. Well, where in the world can we find wisdom? First, in God. Second, in Christ. Where can we find wisdom? Look in verse 19 and 20. I have thought about preaching a whole sermon on verse 19 and 20 in regards to wisdom, but I think it would just be an excuse to talk about the James Webb Telescope for like 45 minutes, so I'm just just going to put it in this sermon. Where to find wisdom in God? Look at verse 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. How did God found the earth? By what? Wisdom. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By his knowledge, the, the deeps, the, the water under the earth broke open. And by implication, because of how parallels work, by his knowledge, the clouds, the, those waters up in the sky, they drop down. Do God brings, by his understanding, water from underneath and water from above. I will reference the James Webb Telescope. It's incredible what they are seeing if you don't know what we're talking about, go online, look up NASA James Webb Telescope and just be amazed at the pictures that we're getting from our uh, newly minted multi-billion dollar taxpayer camera that's floating around the universe. All the u- thousands of galaxies, astronomers and physicists are again feverishly searching for the beginning of the world. How did it all start? Where did it start? When did it start? Well, we may be able to observe and measure and theorize much about the age of the earth, the composition of our ever-expanding universe. But how do you measure wisdom? How do you observe wisdom? Something we have to admit about our world is it is very neatly, precisely ordered and established moral aspects aside the creation the physics of the world this verse says by his understanding the clouds drop down the dew you ever just think about the clouds dropping down the dew as an as an expression of god's wisdom one pastor and that's uh, usually one of two people. Put it this way. 
Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Picture yourself as a farmer in the ancient Near East, as from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from, from month to month, water has to come from another source on the fields. But from where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles, and then it can be poured out on the fields from the sky. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 2,323,200 cubic feet of water, which is 17,377 536 gallons, which comes to be 144, 700-something million pounds of water. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky? And how does it stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation, really. That's a nice word. Well, what does evaporation mean? It means that the water kind of stops being water for a while so that it can go up and not down then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's condensation? The, the water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between the size of point, let me get this right, zero, 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 one, and point zero, 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 one centimeters wide. That's small. What about all these salt? Salt? Yeah, the salt from the Mediterranean Sea. It's all salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so, so the sky picks up millions of pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, carries the water, or whatever it is when it's not water, for 300 miles, and then it dumps it, now turned into water again, on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped millions of pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So, so the sky dribbles millions of pounds of water down in little drops. They have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating and small enough to keep, the crush, keep from crushing the wheat stalks. How do all of these microscopic specks of water that weigh millions of pounds get heavy enough to fall, if that's the way we ask the question, well, it's called coalescence. Well, what's that? It means the specks of water start bumping into each other. And they, they join up and they get bigger. And when they're big enough, they fall. Just like that. Well, not exactly. Because if they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up, they would, bounce off, they would just bounce off of each other instead of joining up if there were no electric field present. The ancient Near East farmer would ask, what is an electric field? fields. Friends, we're living in God's world. And God's world, all of it, is ordered by His wisdom. We can't even grow a crop without living in, waiting on, depending on, and acting in God's wisdom. The way to understand life the way to figure out how this life 
works and what produces joy and happiness and sleep. Well, we cannot do it unless we have God's wisdom. We can never know all the facts like God knows all the facts. We can't know everything like God knows everything. But we can understand the world the way God understands the world. That's wisdom. Being able to understand the world the way God understands the world. Think about the way God made the dew pour from the clouds. Now think if we could get some understanding about how He has ordered our lives. If we could get God's wisdom about good and evil. Like we know how dew is made, if we could get some understanding about how patience works. Why God created it this way, what it means to be male and female. Marriage and family, money and friendship. When we understand God's design for all these, like we understand He has designed dew to come from the clouds, we can live in God's blessing and peace and pleasantness. If you're looking for some practical ways to grow in God's understanding about some, some pointed, specific issues in your life that you think you might be losing sleep over, let me recommend a few things for you. One of them would be CCEF booklets. Practical resources you can find on Amazon or on their website. CCEF booklets. We've got a few of them on the back that were sent to us for free from uh, their table at the Southern Baptist Convention. They just are 40-page pamphlets, baby, basically baby books, you could say, about specific subjects and what God has to say about them. And you can look at that title and go, yeah, that is something I would like to read about. I would encourage you to go to the ACBC website, ACBC Counseling website. Just type in what you're looking for. You're likely to find a resource. And if not, you may be able to be connected with someone who could talk to you. Something else I would highly recommend for growing in God's understanding of ourselves and the world is a series of books edited by Deepak Reju called 30-Day Devotionals for Life. 30-Day Devotionals for Life. Right now, I think there's 25 or 30 or so of them out, and I think they have plans to produce more. These are 31-day devotionals. And here are just a few examples of the titles. Painful Past, Healing and Moving Forward, Marriage Conflict, Talking as Teammates, Grief, Walking with Jesus, Anxiety, Knowing God's Peace. Friends, wouldn't it be good to grow in God's wisdom in so many of these ways and more in our lives? Well, these helps are helpful for us. They're just helps for us to see what God says in His Word about Himself and about us. And my guess is that if you go look at the list of any of these devotions or any of these resources, you'll find one and you'll go, oh yeah, that's the one, that's the one that I'm probably most likely to be awake at night thinking about. I'd love to grab that and read that with someone else. Find someone else in the church and say, can we read this together? 
tell me what you think about this. Can we pray with me? Maybe just three or four weeks. Just meet for three or four weeks just to talk and pray about this. Maybe reach out to your pastor or trusted believer and say, what book of the Bible would you recommend? I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling worried. This has me stressed out. I've got money issues. I've got friendship, marriage issues. What should I read? What should I think? How can I grow in trusting God's wisdom that I might live at peace in these things? All of those things being ways that we can get to God's wisdom so that we might be blessed. The second way, second place that we find wisdom is in Christ. Perhaps the primary way that we find wisdom in the world is through Jesus Christ. In the world that God has created, Christ is a very accessible, very affordable source of wisdom. Know that where we go to find wisdom is not inside of you. It's not on Google. You don't have to buy a book or take a class. Maybe you've set up countless nights perusing YouTube trying to figure philosophy and science and life. But God has given His wisdom to us very fully and very clearly in the person, His Son, Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We'll see how this looked in Jesus' life, and we'll see a couple of ways that the New Testament epistles describe Jesus and his wisdom. From the time that Jesus was 12 years old, began talking to priests in the temple, people who heard Jesus knew that this kid was different. Look in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, where Mark recounts a time when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue back in his hometown. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, that is, they were amazed down in their gut, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works he'd been healing? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters right over there here with us? Well, they took great offense at Jesus back in his hometown. Jesus comes in with all this highfalutin teaching, thinking he's too good for us now. Jesus showing back up in his town, his hometown to them. He looks like a know-it-all. They couldn't help but recognize something was strange about Christ. How did he know all this? Who is this guy? Everywhere Jesus went, he astonished and confounded his audience with his teaching. This is not just because he went to Proverbs class. The apostles understood that God was with Jesus Christ. In fact, the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus Christ. So that whatever wisdom was in God is in Jesus Christ. You can look up in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. There's a longer section here that might be good for you to meditate this afternoon. It's the second half of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2 regarding the 
wisdom in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says about Jesus coming to die on the cross for sinners, that God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. What is Paul saying? That when Jesus came to die on the cross, He was God's wisdom to us. It wasn't just in a book. It wasn't just written down. Jesus became and is God's wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, I'll say it quickly. In Christ, Paul says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't be given to empty philosophies and deceitfulness. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not that Christ has some good things to offer. Jesus has some wise fortune cookie style tips about how to live a good life. And then there's really good wisdom out there in the world. Pay close attention. No, don't be given by any deceitfulness or any philosophy because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. X truly marks the spot for the treasure of wisdom. All of God's wisdom is in Christ. To find wisdom on the earth, heaven's wisdom here. To find the wisdom of God who created the earth, to find it on the earth, look at Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that wisdom has come to us and wisdom has been made known. This wisdom of God goes far beyond technology, far beyond tips for retiring early, far beyond marriage communication suggestions. God's wisdom not only created the world, God has wisely initiated His plan to fix the world, though we have ruined it by our sin. Not only has God in His wisdom made the dew gently fall on the fields, He has made a way in all of history to save mankind from our sin and death <clears throat> that we deserve. See how Jesus dying on the cross is the climax of God's unsearchable wisdom. Through Jesus dying on the cross, God is able to wisely remain just in himself. That is, he punishes sin. He does not let sin go. And God also finds a way to justify the sinner. All of mankind is able to be justified through Jesus' righteousness. That is, God offers forgiveness to those who would believe in Jesus Christ. How could it all work out where God is just and we don't die and go to hell like we deserve. How could God forgive man and still be a holy God? Only by coming in the person of Christ and dying himself could God atone for our sins on the cross. This is God's wisdom. 
the world has been put together in the way that it has been put together, that we have sinned, and God in His wisdom has come in the form of His Son to die on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead, so that whoever believes in Him should have everlasting life, grace from God. Only God could come up with this plan. Only in God's wisdom does this make any sense. This is what Paul is working on throughout the book of Romans. Romans is, I think it's safe to say, the richest, thickest, most detailed accounts of what it means for Jesus to have come and died on the cross for sinners like me and you. Chapter after chapter, Paul tells about God amazingly saving mankind through Jesus. For the first 11 chapters, Paul gushes with doctrinal precision about how Jesus died on the cross for sinners and how there's, there is no other way of salvation. He weaves together creation and Abraham and Adam and God's covenants and Israel and the prophets and all of time and sin's problem and death and glory and Jesus bringing it all together for one plan for all of time for God's glory and our salvation. And when Paul gets done talking about Jesus dying for sinners and all that it means, here is Paul's great conclusion in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable are his ways. Once you see all that God has done and promised through Jesus, what else can you say? But, well, God is so wise to find wisdom. Look to Jesus Christ. Peace and pleasantness with God begins not without wisdom about with wisdom about how to live your life and how to make decisions, it begins by understanding that we stand under God's wrath. But God sent His Son to die and raise for us. Why is the world so messed up? We've sinned against the Creator who created the world in His wisdom. And we went in our sin to live in our own wisdom. How can we be restored to God? Well, God in His wisdom sent Christ Jesus to die for our sins and raised from the dead that all who believe in Him might be saved. From there, the world starts to make sense. You gain understanding and you have nothing to fear in that wisdom. I remember Lauren Sossler, a previous associate pastor's wife here, remember her talking about her testimony. <coughs> she was inside a worship center with no windows, and it was fairly dark when she became a believer. And she remembered walking outside, having just professed faith for the first time in Jesus Christ, being converted. And she remembers noticing the trees were green for the first time. It's like the whole world was now in color the world was in color. Her life made sense. God makes sense. Her sin is now reconciled with God. No longer is she under judgment. She could see it all more clearly now. She could understand. And coming to that place of the most fundamental wisdom 
is where we come to be fearless and come to rest. Look what he says in Proverbs chapter 3. Go back verse 21 through 26. When we come to find wisdom in God, when we come to find wisdom in Christ, look at what he says. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid when you lie down. Your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Be careful to understand what this doesn't mean and what it does mean. The Bible is God's Word. It is God's wisdom passed on to us from Moses, prophets, apostles. It is born from the Holy Spirit. It is not just a book. It is God's revelation of Himself. It is breathed out by God, Paul says. Hebrews says that God's Word is living breathing and piercing. It teaches us about God, about His plans. It teaches us about ourselves. But be very careful. The Bible is not just a bedtime sedative to put you to sleep at night. I mean, there are some sections in Leviticus that may have that effect. But the Bible is not a magic book that if you just read some of it at night, God will be happy with you and you'll sleep better because you did your duty to read your Bible. The Bible is not a chant. It's not a fortune. It's not like a tarot card. It's wisdom for how to live your life is what Proverbs is getting at. Proverbs is saying that by walking with God in His wisdom, we have nothing to fear. It's not saying that you can live your life in foolishness all day, but if you take a sip of God's Word at night, it will put you right to sleep. God's Word is to help you put that job interview in perspective so that you're not so anxious. It's there to take away the anxiety of choosing someone to marry by giving you counsel. It guides us in how to respond to people when they are mean to us so that it doesn't crush us. God's Word reminds us what God is doing in the world when the world doesn't seem to make sense to us. It reminds us what we can expect from God tomorrow. It reminds us what we can expect from God forever. It gives us guidance for how to raise our children with confidence, conviction, and go to bed at night knowing our kids might hate us. Our kids are upset at us because we didn't get to what they wanted today. Our kids aren't behaving the way that I wish they would. <coughs> but I was walking according to God's wisdom today. I did not discipline them in anger. We read the word. We applied the gospel to their lives. I shared my faith. What else can I do but walk in God's wisdom with my kids? It's the creator's wisdom that if we walk in it by faith, we can be sure that we are walking in the order of the wisdom by which God created the world and us. It's telling us that by living in God's wisdom, finding wisdom in God and walking with Him means we can come home at night and rest, trusting God. When we go to sleep, we don't have to worry about something bad happening to us tomorrow. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to us. 
But it does mean we don't have to be afraid of what he called sudden terror. We don't have to be afraid that we might stumble tomorrow. Why? Because the Lord is our confidence. We're walking in his way. We're obeying him. I'm going to work the way he has instructed me to go to work, to treat others, to love others. So I trust that he is my confidence. One pastor said it this way, it means we will have understanding to avoid the landmines which sin has hidden in the world. We may never see the traps, the dangers that we are saved from by walking in God's wisdom, but by walking in righteousness, we can trust we are in God's way of blessing in the world. See how this wisdom that God gives in Himself and in His Word becomes a tree of life in our lives. This chapter comes with examples and application for us. Look at verse 29. In case you were wondering how this worked out, what it looks like to live in wisdom, the application isn't just read the wisdom and go to sleep. The application is follow God, trust in Jesus Christ, and walk in wisdom like God's wisdom. Look what he says in verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly you, beside you. You might think it's wise to start making plans to get someone back or show someone a thing or two. Or undermine someone so that their plans don't happen and your plans exceed. Maybe you plan to expose something someone else did and attempt to show that you are right or better or get ahead. That's not going to bring life to your life or theirs. If someone trusts you, don't use that to make plans against them. You're more likely to lose sleep at night. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you know harm. You're going to lose sleep over that. You'll be anxious about that. You're going to wonder, when is that person going to come bring sudden terror on you? There's no peace or pleasantness, no blessing there. In the wise words of the intergalactic agent J, don't start nothing, won't be nothing. I'll let you get that one later. Verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The way of violence is not the way of resting with God. Violence of all kinds may be tempting because they feel good and they get immediate results, but plotting, attacking, outburst of anger, Outbursts of violence are not the way of wisdom. They're just the way of trouble. And can't we see all of these in Jesus' life? When did Jesus ever plan evil against his neighbor who dwelled trustingly beside him? No, that's what Judas did to Jesus. When did Jesus ever start a fight where there wasn't a fight? He didn't. That's what the Pharisees brought to him. When did Jesus ever use violence in order to get his way? He didn't. That's what the Romans did to him. Didn't he do the exact opposite? Walking in God's wisdom that doesn't make any sense even to some of his followers at the time. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but 1 Peter says he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. So that even looking at the cross, even when he was going to the cross and he was about to die, Jesus prayed, but now, God, I'm coming to you. 
And these things I speak in the world, that they, my disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. For Jesus, even going to the cross, in God's wisdom, was his joy. Oh, see how the tree of life does not just bear fruit to you, but through you and your relationship to others by showing God's kindness and mercy that we see in Jesus Christ flow through us. Walking in wisdom with God means we don't just sleep at night ourselves, but we become a blessing to others. Listen to the summary that he gives in verses 33 to 35. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Find wisdom in God. Find wisdom in Jesus Christ. Find wisdom in his word and be blessed in this life and by Christ's forgiveness alone to come. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks and we give you praise that you have been so kind to us to reveal your wisdom. It was by your wisdom that you made the world. By your wisdom, you continue to guide and execute your plan in the world. By your wisdom, you sent Christ. Father, we confess wisdom is not in us, it's in you. Help us to seek it and find it in you so that walking with you, following in your commands, understanding the world through your wisdom, we can have rest and peace and sleep at night and be a joy to our neighbors. That we can live without being afraid of sudden terror, trusting you as our confidence. Take just a moment and pray in response to God's word on your own. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to